Good evening, everyone. My name is Gyan Bhumani, and I am the host of the Entrepreneurship Insights podcast. This evening, I want to welcome Andrew to the show. He's dedicated his whole life to making the world a better place through what he does best, venture capital. Always a star student, Andrew first got exposure through Start You. Then he became a founding member of College Ventures Network and later an ambassador for Gen Z VC Summit. This is just a little bit about him, and I want to... Uh, I really want to thank him for joining us today. Yeah, well, uh, it's a real pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, I just wa- want to give you the mic. Uh, give us some background. Um, how did you get started with entre- uh, with entrepreneurship and venture capital, and how did you develop your interests? Absolutely. Well, you know, for me, I, I don't think I fully figured out what I wanted to do when I was in high school. And uh, I was still sort of trying to figure out, you know, I knew it had something to do with entrepreneurship. I knew it had something to do with, you know, being my own boss, being in charge of my own destiny. Um, but specifically, you know, whether it was going to be finance or um, accounting or uh, IT, even I didn't really have a clear idea. The industries are just so huge and broad. Um, so one of the things I did in high school was I tried to get as much exposure as I could to various different industries. Um, joined a bunch of different clubs in high school. You know, I was actually part of an organization called DECA, uh, which is basically a business club that allows students to um, go to these conferences where they do competitions and all kinds of different industries, such as marketing, um, finance, entrepreneurship, etc. Um, and, and through that experience, I was able to network with different people. I was able to understand what current industry leaders were excited about in terms of technology and innovation. So by the time I went to college, I figured out, you know, whatever I want to do, I want to be at the front lines of innovation because that is where most of the growth is happening. That's where all of the excitement is happening right now. Um, and that's when I got exposed to venture capital. You know, that's when, you know, we had a club on campus that was really focused on helping student entrepreneurs grow their businesses, grow their companies. And I came to understand the value of VC as a tool to accelerate startup founders and to help them reach their goals. And then I came to realize that the role of a VC in the economy today is not just vital to growing the economy, but more importantly, uh, to helping founders reach their dreams. Um, there's you know, a statistic that I think uh, only 90, 95% of startups fail, right? Only 5% of them actually succeed. And it's a similar ratio in VC, not, not as bad, but it's about 80-20, right? So we invest in 80% of the companies we invest in are, are ultimately not going to be profitable, but it's the 20% that are that ultimately creates such huge returns that they, you know, basically deal with all the losses too. Um, and I think it was through this experience, exposure to venture capital, being able to interact with and interview so many different founders and investors, I came to realize that venture capital was where my interests were, um, and they still are, right? And that's sort of what I've been doing is just getting a better understanding of um, not just how to invest, but what motivates founders in, in today's economy. When we're seeing, you know, sky high valuations, there's a reason for that. Thank you, Andrew. Um, a, quite a quite a bit of what you said really resonated with me. You know, like that 95%, and I've actually uh, used that statistic quite a few times uh, because, uh, uh, like, I've also started a club at my school, and I use that. As, as my starting statistic for the pitch. 
And so uh, I, I definitely agree with you, you know, like just getting exposure. Some people don't like, some people aren't geniuses. They don't know what they want to do uh, from seventh grade, eighth grade, right? It takes some time. And for you, you got exposure through just exploring things, right? DECA was one and that other organization which helped startups. And so all of that is really important. And so what, when exactly did you realize that you wanted to do this? Like, was it in the transition between high school and college or some, some, some other time? Well, the funny story is I actually, you know, didn't fully understand what venture capital was until about two years ago. Um, if you recall around March of 2020, when the COVID lockdowns first began, um, the stock market completely crashed. In fact, it was the worst stock market crash in the last 90 years. Um, but then like just as quickly, the stock market not only recovered, it, it posted highs, new highs every single week. You know, we were hitting records and, and even now the stock market is at record valuations. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is that around the same period, we also saw record sky high valuations for founders, for startups. Um, and that was something that was very unique about the current recession that we're in, is that unlike 2008 and 2020, we had a situation where founders could literally raise capital through Zoom. They were able to meet with investors, you know, thousands of miles away. And that's one of the great things about technology is that it's helping us adapt to the current circumstances, whether it's the pandemic or anything else. Um, and I think it was just reading that in the news, just reading about the fact that, you know, innovation and startup founders were still resilient, that they were still, you know, at the front lines of innovation, that really piqued my interest. And that's sort of how I started doing my own research into why is it the venture capital investments are, you know, generating such huge returns when traditional investments in the stock market, the S&P 500, um, were not generating such sky high returns. Um, that sort of got me interested. And then I came to realize that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they like the fact that they get the freedom to explore their own career and build their own company. But the great thing about being a VC is you get to do that, but hundreds of times. You're meeting founders every single day. You're advising companies or helping companies grow. So you get a much more diversified exposure. And I think that's what really excited me about venture capital. Thanks. Uh, that, thank you for that insight, you know, and uh, what, what you said about Zoom, you know, like people were able to uh, pitch for funding over that. I, I read a statistic the other day. It was like December 2019, there were only 10 million users for Zoom. And right after the pandemic, like during three, it was that number is 300 million, right? And so, so many different opportunities have opened up, like this podcast, I've done this just on Zoom, right? And not, not like people have made money. And so it's, it's just like, sometimes necessity breeds innovation. And so what do you enjoy most about this? Like you, you said that you were driven about that, that, that you were about that, um, build your own destiny, like being in charge, being in charge of your life. But what really appeals to you today? You know, I think we're living in a very exciting time. We're living in a very historic time. If you think about um, 2020 as a year, just the amount of change that occurred, just, you know, our lives are completely transformed. And I think last year, there's been a lot of talk about 
when are we going to return to normal? I think slowly there's been a recognition that returning to normal is never going to happen. We're living in what people like to call the new normal. And my advice to people, especially when it comes to venture capital, is understanding what the trend lines are. And I always say that if you can understand what the trend lines are before other people, you're going to make a lot more money, right? What what you're doing as a VC, you're not you don't necessarily have to be the smartest person in the room, but you do have to be the person who can see those trend lines the earliest. Um, and that does require a lot of, I think, um, confidence. You know, it, it requires you to make these very risky bets that other people are not willing to do. But I think going through the last two years, we've seen that um, it not only has innovation occurred at a pace that is truly unprecedented, but also the rate at which founders are starting their own companies. I mean, it's not just the fact that, you know, venture capital investments are at sky high rates. It's also the fact that there's just so many founders out there and they want to pitch their companies and they want to, you know, talk to about what they're passionate about. And I think as a VC personally, um, that's what motivates me every day is is being able to interact with people who are so excited about what they do. They're so passionate about the work they do. Um, I don't know if you know, but we're currently going through what people call the Great Resignathon. Um, there's a huge movement towards remote work, but there's also a huge movement towards people quitting their jobs. It's not even just an American thing. In fact, in China, they have this concept called uh, Tangping, which basically means lying flat. Um, you're seeing that Gen Z millennials, they are sick of the traditional work culture where they are, you know, told, you know, get a four year degree and then go work in investment banking, consulting, make six figures. But you're working 18 hours a day and there's no real passion in the work that they're doing. They don't feel a tangible impact um, in terms of the work they're they're actually working on every single day. It's not making that positive impact they were told when they were in elementary school. Right. And so I think right now the reason why so many people are going into I want to work at a startup, I want to go into venture capital is they want to be able to not only have the freedom to decide their own destiny, but they also want to see how their work and their skills and their talents can have a tangible positive impact on the world. That is something that I think is a long-term trend. That is something that is different about this coming decade is we're seeing energy re-geared towards positive social impact. And that's one of the things I'm really excited about. I mean, I mean, I couldn't have said it better, better myself. You know, like, uh, like you said, it's it's about being faster, not smarter, right? And that, uh, and just being able to realize that your specific skill set, no matter how unique it is, can have a tangible impact. That I guess drives the millennials. And uh, and we've been learning about the American dream in in school, right? And I feel like one one big thing about it is entrepreneurship, right? At its base, it's essentially just entrepreneurship, right? Being able to, it's just hard work and determination to success, right? And you can't really achieve that through that nine to five job. And that's why these millennials are quitting and just exploring new things, right? And so how has your education helped show, or how has your education shaped your view of the world? And how is it helping you make an impact today? That's a really good question. And I'm glad you mentioned the American dream because I think there are a lot of misconceptions of what the American dream means. Now, I don't know if any of those of you listening today uh, ever took AP 
U.S. History A push or AP Gov when you were in high school. But uh, for those of you who've studied American history, you're probably aware that the 1950s, really the time when people, I, I would say the quintessential concept of the American dream really gave birth. Um, you know, I'd say the late 1800s, that's really when we started having, you know, the American Industrial Revolution, the second Industrial Revolution, where we started going from just simply having the steamboat towards, you know, massive machinery and factories and, and efficiency, the scientific method, and really bringing that into how we manufacture goods and products. Um, but if you think about the 1950s, this is the post-World War II economic boom. And I think back then the American dream was defined as the nuclear family. So it was the husband who had just came back from World War II with his wife and then two children and probably a dog as well, maybe two Fords. And they lived in a single family ranch style house in the suburbs. That was the quintessential American dream. Today, 70 years later, I don't think that our concept of the American dream is anything like what it was in the 1950s. Um, in fact, I, I do have some bad news for the millennials and, and uh, Gen Z years out there is that unfortunately our economy has gotten worse for young people. It hasn't gotten better, it's gotten worse. And uh, that's why, by the way, um, George Carlin, huge, huge fan of him, by the way, he's a great comedian. He once said that the, the reason why they call it the American dream is because you have to be asleep to actually consciously be aware of it. And I, my advice to young people today is, you know, I wouldn't focus so much on this idea of the American dream, this idea that entrepreneurship is inevitable, that it's somehow that the United States has a monopoly on the idea of entrepreneurship. I will tell you one of the great things about being in VC is that I see so much innovation happening everywhere around the world. And in fact, if you look at venture capital investments outside of Silicon Valley, even outside of North America, they now constitute a majority of venture capital investments. In fact, um, innovation happening in the emerging markets in, in the second and third worlds um, is truly occurring at a pace that is unprecedented in, in modern human history. Um, in terms of education, addressing your question about education, I would say I think that what Zoom University or Zoom Learning has taught us is that so much of what we've thought learning was in the past, those old rules don't apply anymore. You know, uh, Google just came out with this uh, IT certificate program where you can take a, a an eight-week training course on the basics of programming and coding, and you don't even have to go to college anymore. You know, there's a movement towards apprenticeships. There's a movement towards... Uh, trade schools for those who can't afford a four-year university degree because we do such a horrible job in this country um, investing in higher education. So, you know, my advice to people out there is there's no one silver bullet. There's no one single path for you to take. But the most important thing I think that is here to stay and the trends I've seen in edtech is there's no question technology is going to be a huge part of education going forward. You know, I've seen a lot of innovation, especially with VR headsets and people using augmented reality to learn about, you know, the human body and human anatomy. There's been a lot of innovation there, especially in medical schools. Um, you know, we're seeing people get degrees online. And yes, I think one of the drawbacks of that is there's less social interaction. But the benefit is you're saving money and you're getting your degree faster and you're learning the same material. And so when it comes to education, the most important thing is to have the right attitude. It's the attitude of always having a permanent learning mindset, understanding what you know you don't know, um, and then really going out there and, and being willing to 
uh, build those skills and explore and have a curious mindset. Um, I will tell you that the founders I've worked with, that are the most successful, there's literally no exception to this rule, are those who are constantly curious and they want to learn more and they're always asking questions. And that's what I like about these founders is, you know, when you're investing in a company at a very early stage, you're not investing so much in the technology or the business model as you are in the founders. And the most important thing is to have founders who have that open-minded attitude towards learning. Thank you. I mean, uh, there's so many wonderful pieces of advice there. You know, it's just um, like like you said, I've, I've actually been saying that quote uh, about the American dream to my friends like in the lately that you, the reason is called the American dream is because you have to sleep to believe in it, right? And that uh, 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 my father always says that lo- lo- like life, you can take as an acronym for learning infinitely forever, right? And that and that I feel applies to this situation. Um, and so thank you. Um, you are a venture fellow at Impact, a firm which works with entrepreneurs and corporate ven- and corporate venture arms to add value beyond capital. So, what service does uh, it provide its customer, and what problem does it tackle? And also, what have you learned through ex- uh, through this experience working at Impact? I would say Impact is a very traditional VC firm. Um, we're not huge on crypto you know we're not making massive investments in web3 although you know personally i think there is a lot of excitement in that industry Um, we tend to take a more traditional path when it comes to investing Uh, the majority of our companies are b2b SaaS, Um, but we also have a lot of hard tech companies we have a lot of companies that are operating at what i call the frontier of where technology is moving today Um, And one of the things I think I've learned at Impact is, you know, you're going to get hundreds, if not, if you're a really big firm, you're going to get thousands of requests from founders every single day. They're going to pitch you. They're going to sit with you in a Zoom meeting and and tell you about how great their company is. The most important thing you have to do as a VC, especially at that entry level point, is to be able to filter out the noise. Because as a VC, you're only going to be investing in 1% of those founders, right? 99% of the time, you have to be okay with saying no. Um, and, and by the way, there have been situations where you know we said no and then we later regretted it. It's like, you know, we incorrectly thought that this company wasn't ready for our investments and later they became successful, good for them. Um, there have also been cases where, you know, we've invested in companies and it later turned out that it just wasn't a good fit. Um, so also just having the attitude of saying, you know, it's okay to be wrong, but the more that you fail, the less that you fail, if that makes sense. Because over time, you start seeing those patterns. You start making those mental heuristics. You start seeing, okay, here's what's consistent, and here's a way that I can build a model for myself on how I analyze a company. Um, and so that's, I think, a huge part of my experience there is you have to filter out the noise. You have to say, what is a fast and efficient way for me to find those companies that really stand out? And one of the things I, I advise founders to do um, is, you know, I think there's a lot of energy today uh, surrounding, hey, how can I make my pitch deck look really nice from a graphic design standpoint? You know, how can how can I make my pitch entertaining? 
You know, those are all things that I think, if you've studied psychology, those are all things that really get at people from a hook standpoint. You're really trying to hook them in. But at the end of the day, you do have to deliver when it comes to the actual, you know, meat, if you will. There has to actually be something there. And I, I feel like, you know, there's there's a move towards, um, at least I, I've actually, you know, met with a couple startups right now that are trying to pitch the idea of video pitches, right? There are some... Uh, founders out there who are saying instead of having a pitch deck, we'll just send a one-page investment memo. Um, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, by by the way, he inst- he doesn't do powerpoints. He only does four-page memos, which is interesting. He makes his entire team read these four-page memos every single week. Um, so I would say that the medium through which you pitch your company isn't as important as the actual content itself. And what makes a successful, you know, entry-level venture analyst stand out above everyone else is your ability to quickly go through hundreds of pitches every single day and separate the content from the noise. I think by far the most important thing because that's one of the things that can't be automated. Thank you. I I definitely agree with you. You know, like uh, I've also heard that the filtering out the noise, it says that that quote, it's like filter out the noise, listen to the sound or listen to the music. Right. And and like the fact that big billionaires like Bill Gates are only taking four page memos, right? being able to uh, pitch yourself, m- not more than the company that you're that you're founding, but the, yourself in less than 30 seconds. That's what people care about in uh, 2021, 2022. And so how how is your network helped you through this uh, VC process and made it made your experience an unforgettable one. So Gion, I have to say network is by far the most important thing. And I think what you're doing right now is exactly what someone should be doing at your age if you want to break into the industry. Um, Networking is, at least in my experience, I will tell you that networking is far more powerful than simply having the right skill set. Um, I've, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the with the statement. Um, it's not what you know; it's who you know. Well, unfortunately, in entrepreneurship in this industry, that is true, but by a magnitude of 100, if not 1,000. Um, the reality of the situation is that you have to be able to connect with other people efficiently, and you have to be constantly connecting with people, constantly meeting new people, constantly you know getting their contact info, understanding where they fit into that entrepreneurial network. You know, is this someone who's good at marketing? Is this someone who's good at finance? Is this someone who's good at you know technology? Where do they fit? What is their value add when they're in a startup? And if I don't want to invest in them, that doesn't mean that they're not a good investment. Maybe it's just that our firm doesn't have the right thesis. There's a firm out there who probably is more appropriate for them, right? And it's it's understanding the value of network that really makes a venture capitalist successful and it makes them powerful in the industry. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but VC is a relatively small industry. You know, yes, it's true that our valuations are going high and you know billions, billions of dollars are being poured into VC. But at the end of the day, there's only a couple thousand people in the industry. That's what makes it hard to break into. And that's why it's so important for people to go out there proactively and try to meet with not just venture capitalists, but more importantly, other founders as well. Um, I think Y Combinator is a great example of this because Y Combinator's model is basically saying, we are all founders, right? The people who are making all the decisions about investing in a company, they are all successful founders. They're 
all people who have expertise in the industry, they've done it for decades. And then every single founder that's successfully gone through YC, they then become a part of that organization. They then become a part of that network. And so it's sort of grandfathered in where every next cohort, every next generation now has access to every single cohort in the past and the lessons that were learned beforehand. And I think that's what makes the YC model so powerful is that, you know, wisdom accumulates success, right? Skills, talents, they all accumulate over time. And it's that model that I think just is a really great visualization of why networking is so important. Yeah, thank you. Uh, like, I, I definitely agree in, in terms of networking. Uh, it's important to see what value do these people provide to you and how can I guess, how, how can you make them useful in some way, right? And uh, so, and you were talking about Y Combinator, right? It's like, and uh, and also the uh, uh, the people in the VC industry, like there's only a couple thousand people. It makes it hard to get into, but there's also so much potential, right? And I feel like once founders realize that uh, it just, it like, that that fact will help them you know uh, so what are your future plans in the field and what are some other branches of entrepreneurship that currently in, uh, are interest you you know I, I would say that I don't know that's the honest answer I think the great thing about being in VC is that you know it, I guess it's both a, a blessing and a curse you don't wake up every single day in the morning saying I've got the rest of my life planned out I know what I'm doing in in six months in a year, in five years, 10 years, 20 years even. Um, the great thing about venture capital is you literally have no idea what you're going to do because the nature of the industry is that things move both very quickly and very slowly. Your investments are very slow. These are very long-term investments. The average uh, relationship between a founder and his venture capitalist tends to be about eight years. And believe it or not, that's actually longer than the average American marriage, which is why they say that if you're going to find a venture capitalist, make sure that there's a real fit there. Um, because there are so many horror stories about you know, VCs that don't get along with their founders, and it's a legal nightmare. Um, with that being said, uh, the reality of the situation is it's also a very quick-paced industry because you're going through so many pitches every single day. The news that's coming out of Silicon Valley, Wall Street, etc., you know, it's it's really going to inundate your, your news feed, and you've got to be able to um, soak in, absorb information quickly, and be able to understand sort of the quantitative side of the qualitative uh, news that's coming out. So. You know, I, I think that's what makes it difficult is trying to quantify qualitative information. Um, and, and that's why it's such a fast paced industry, because there's so much info that you have to absorb quickly and then understand, OK, here's a new trend line. I got to move on this quickly. I got to capitalize on this quickly. Um, it, it, it's, you know, not just about yourself. You're convincing other people on your team to make these collective investments, too, because after all, you're, you're also fundraising as a venture capitalist. You're fundraising from LPs. So, you know, I think the key to being in the industry is being okay with uncertainty, uh, being okay with not knowing, but just sort of taking it one day at a time. And if that's what you do, I think you'll never feel like it's a job. And it'll actually feel like a hobby because you actually enjoy what you're doing every single day. Um, any kind of industry where you have your entire, the entire rest of your life figured out, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I find that almost depressing. Um, I think the uncertainty can actually be 
a part of the thrill of being in the industry because you just don't know how things are going to change tomorrow. So every single day, I'd say, is a, is a, is a challenge. In terms of you know, entrepreneurship, where I see things going in the future, I will tell you that I think there's a lot of excitement right now, like I mentioned earlier, around crypto, Web3, um, DeFi, even you know, blockchain. Um, but I always tell people, you know, if you want to be a successful, successful venture capitalist, you have to be contrarian. Um, and if you've read Zero to One by Peter Thiel, he talks about the importance of being contrarian. And that is that means you're actually running against the herd. So if everyone's saying, you know, go into crypto, go into blockchain, well, I'm sorry, but it might either be too late or it might be a complete, you know, fraudulent situation where you're really going to lose a lot of money. And I'm not saying this as a, someone who's anti-crypto, but I am saying that it appears to me that these valuations right now are really, really high. And what goes up must come down. And the only question is, are you at the top yet or are you already kind of, you know, moving down? And we don't know that, but I think we'll know very soon this year. Um, if you've been following the news around Bitcoin and, and Ethereum, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, so my advice is, you know, go for the smaller industries, go for the industries that aren't shiny and, 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 and getting all this excitement, because those are usually the arbitrage opportunities. Those are usually the places where the growth and the returns are going to be exponential. Um, you're not going to have huge returns from crypto right now when, for example, Andreessen Horowitz is investing $4 billion into this industry. They just raised a new fund, $4 billion. Um, and keep in mind that that is what I think the total market cap of Bitcoin right now is about $100 billion, right? So it, you got to think about this also within you know proportion and scale. Um, so. I will tell you, there's a lot of energy in all these industries, but just be careful about, you know, thinking thinking smart as an investor. Um, if you're going to invest, you know, as for passive income, if you're going to invest simply um, because you want to ride these trend lines, then you're better suited to just put your money in the S&P 500 or in a general market ETF, right? If you do that, it's low risk, but you're guaranteed to have, you know, about a 10 to 15% return right now. That's what the market looks like. Um, but if you're really, if you want to be a successful venture capitalist, you have to beat the market and beating the market is extremely hard. And that does mean having the willingness to go towards these smaller industries where there's not as much excitement. Thank you a lot, that, uh, a lot that you said there, a lot to unpack as well, you know, that, uh, that just like we get to choose uh we, we i guess it really comes down to what type of person are you right are you are you attracted to risk or are you repelled from right and depending on that and like you said that uh being in venture capital you don't know what you're gonna do tomorrow right and in a way i guess everything is everything like that is a blessing and a curse right because uh and it just and it just teaches us every single day that it's all just temporary right like the successes you see today or the failures today won't be the ones that you see tomorrow 